0: Do you have questions about the Catholic faith? Are you just listening because you randomly found this podcast? Whatever the reason, we're glad you're listening. From prayer to the Eucharist to exploring the treasures of the Catholic Church, we will talk about the faith in day-to-day life. This is Seeking Sanctus. All righty, guys, welcome back to Seeking Sanctus. I am William Mayberry, and today's topic is going to be Matthew's genealogy. Um, and here with us today, we have guest speaker, Holly Vaughn.
1: Hello, well, how are you?
0: I'm doing great. How about yourself?
1: I'm doing pretty good.
0: That's good to hear. All right, so why don't we just jump right in? Uh, I'll just start with the basic question. What is the importance of this genealogy?
1: All right, sounds good. Well, the importance of this particular genealogy at this time of year we're currently in the fourth week of advent and it is almost christmas time and so this genealogy is read at the vigil mass of christmas so if you go to the vigil mass which is usually around four or five p.m on christmas eve then this is the gospel reading that you will hear is this genealogy and sometimes that's where we can start to kind of drift off or stare at the pretty stained glass because just a bunch of names and then we kind of wake back up for the homily but actually The genealogy is a mini tour of salvation history. Tells us a lot about Jesus, just like our own family tree tells us a lot about ourselves, about our history and our story. This family tree does that too, but for Jesus. And since we are part of the family of God through Jesus, this kind of becomes our family tree as well.
0: Yeah, so I can see what you mean about uh, people zoning out because when you do read through this, it is kind of it just. It's almost like reading a grocery list, right?
1: That's why we're talking about it, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So uh, why don't we walk through the first part of it?
1: Okay, sounds good. So I will read. I thought it would be good to read it so that you hear the names and get familiar with them before you hear them on Christmas. So I'm going to read this in sections. Okay, so the first section we're going to do is chapter 1, verses 1 through 6a. And if you've ever wondered what that meant, like I used to, when it says 6a, that means the first sentence of verse six. So that's how far we're going to go. All
0: right. All right.
1: So let's begin the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers.
0: All right, Alrighty.
1: so our goal is to be familiar with this and kind of ponder it like we would our, our old family stories as we read it.
0: All righty, uh, thank you for reading that. So uh, what did, what's the first thing we should know about this section?
1: So the first thing we should know is in the very first verse, it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Well, in Greek, that word for genealogy is where we get the word, genesis as in the book of genesis so there's only two other places in scripture where this phrase is used and they're both in the book of genesis one is the beginning of the heavens and the earth and the other is for the beginnings of adam's descendants so matthew here is implying this new beginning this new creation for humanity that starts in jesus christ
0: that's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, so I have heard that genealogies were very important to ancient Jews. Can you explain maybe why that is?
1: Sure. They were very important because their their history was very important to them. And they're waiting on the Messiah. And so they're keeping track of all these different lineages. And they know who comes from this clan and that clan and this tribe. So it's it's very important for their history, but they didn't read them like we read them. So part of the goal of this podcast is to teach you to read this genealogy the way an ancient Jew would have read it. They know their history. They know their scripture. And this is like an outline of their story. So when they present this genealogy to their children, they're going to fill in the blanks. They're going to tell them who who Hezekiah is and who Tamar is. And it's going to be a lot of sharing of family history and family stories takes a little more work for us to read it like that. We have to actually do the work and the research to be able to understand it the way they would have understood it. So, um, and they would have understood from this first line that we just talked about that St. Matthew is is telling us that Jesus is gonna usher in a new creation. As we'll see at the end, he kind of puts the focus over to Mary when he gets to Jesus. And so he doesn't focus so much on his, paternity, but he brings his maternity into it. And so we have to ask ourselves, why would he do that? Well, the question is who in human history had no earthly father? If you ask somebody who in human history had no earthly father, what do you think they would say?
0: Uh, The main person that came to mind would probably be Jesus Christ.
1: Right. But do you know who else had no earthly father? Adam had no earthly father either. The beginning of the original creation had no earthly biological father, just as the beginning of the new creation has no earthly biological father. We're going to get to that a little later in the genealogy, but these are all things that would have come to mind for ancient Jews. Also, it's good to remember that most people probably know, but some probably don't, that Christ is not Jesus's last name. It is a title and it means anointed one. It's Christos in Greek, but it was Meshach in Hebrew, which is where we get the English word Messiah. So, in this part, we're actually seeing that already. Matthew is identifying Jesus as the Jewish Messiah.
0: So, uh, side break kind of from that. There's a question that I have for you on uh, Matthew one through three, essentially. Okay. Why does this particular genealogy start out at Abraham? Why does it not go like a little farther back? It just seems to start in this random spot. Why is that?
1: That is because Matthew is wanting to put a special focus on Jesus's kingly and Jewish origin. If you were to look at Luke's genealogy, which is not read at the Christmas masses, but it's it's there and it's worth reading, he will actually trace Jesus all the way back to Adam because his focus is particularly on this new creation. So the reason that they're a little different is the different focuses of the gospel authors and the different audiences they were writing to and the different points that they wanted to make.
0: I gotcha. So um, while we're on the name topic, why don't we uh, dig into some of these other names that appear All right. in this section?
1: Let's do it. we'll go through the main names. So my hope is by the time we get through this, when you hear this at the Christmas Mass, these names are going to ring bells to you. At least some of these names are going to ring bells to you. We don't have time to go into all of them, but we're going to hit the main characters. So in this first verse, he mentions two names in particular. First, he mentions the son of David. So when ancient Jews heard the son of David, this would have invoked for them the promises that were made to King David by God. Specifically, the promise that he and his descendants would rule over all the nations. Now, all the nations means all peoples, including us, later. And he also promised King David that he would rule from an everlasting throne. That his throne would last forever. It would be an eternal kingdom. So this, in combination with the title Christos in Greek, or the Christ... Is going to tell the ancient Jews, St. Matthew was telling us, this is the Messiah King. He's both Messiah and King.
0: Okay. Um, what why, what does, uh, does King David's everlasting throne, is that a reference specifically to Jesus Christ?
1: Jesus will be the King of David that rules forever. So it was a promise made to David and his descendants, but David did not live forever. We know actually, if you read the book of Acts and St. Peter's speech after Pentecost, he will say, but David died and he is buried among us. You know, so he didn't live forever. Solomon didn't live forever. So for there to be an everlasting throne, the king must live forever. And that is what is ultimately fulfilled in Christ.
0: Okay, thank you. Um, so I already asked you why it starts specifically at Abraham. Could you uh, maybe elaborate just a little more on why it specifically, why Matthew wants to emphasize him?
1: Absolutely. So Abraham is underscoring that Christ belongs to the chosen people. Christ is a Jew. He came as a Jew. He came from the Jews. Salvation comes to us through the Jews. But it also invokes the promises made to Abraham. And the main promise made to Abraham that is fulfilled in Christ is this worldwide blessing. He promised that the whole world would be blessed by Abraham's descendants, not just the Jews, but all the nations or what's called the Gentiles. That's you and I, unless you were born of ethnic Jewish origin, you are a Gentile. And it is because of this fulfilled worldwide blessing that you are able to be a part of the family of God. So when you hear this read and you hear the son of David, the son of Abraham, this part of Christ's genealogy is making it a possibility for you to be a part of the family of God. It foreshadows not only Christ, it foreshadows you being a part of his family.
0: That's, that's great to know. I did not know that. So uh, we're Gentiles, like all of the modern people over the world, we can all be called Gentiles.
1: We are what the Bible would have called Gentiles. The church now, of course, is universal. It is worldwide. But back then, there were the Jews, and everyone else to them was the Gentiles. All the other nations were the Gentiles. And through the worldwide blessing, it was promised, although sometimes throughout history not focused on, that ultimately, when the Messiah came, he would also bring the Gentiles into God's family. Now, that happened in a very different way than the Jews thought it was going to happen but it was prophesied from all the way back with Abraham.
0: Yeah. And you, you do hear about um, Jesus speaking about the Gentiles a lot in the Bible. So that, that would make sense. Um, should we, should we go on to the next name? Who's next?
1: Yeah. Let's move through a little bit to Judah. So it speaks of Judah and his brothers. So Judah and his brothers are the 12 tribes of Israel. We've all heard of the 12 tribes of Israel, right?
0: Yeah. Could you, could you maybe elaborate a little bit on that for us?
1: Sure. So Judah and his 11 brothers are, their sons of Jacob. So they're grandsons of Abraham. That's what you need to know. These are Abraham's grandsons. And it's a, it's a kind of complicated history, but ultimately there, there are 12 tribes. Okay. So each child, to put it simply, is given a an allotted portion of the promised land. And that's where their family and their specific descendants live. Okay. So that's how they become the 12 tribes of Israel. The land as a whole is referred to as Israel. Each descendant gets his own little section of land. It's almost like what we would call counties, right? Like you have the County of Dan or the County of Judah. That's not what they called them. But that's how they were separated. They each had their own part of the land, of the Holy Land of Israel. And Somewhere so they became they the 12 if... tribes of Israel.
0: Sorry. Somewhere to go if their brothers got on their nerves, eh? Hey, there you go. So uh, who are some other major players in this genealogy?
1: Okay, well, we're going to go on through the genealogy. But one more thing about the 12 tribes. Eventually, 10 of them are destroyed by the Assyrians. The Assyrian comes in, they take that land that they had owned and they they exile those 10 tribes that are in the northern part of Israel. The two tribes that are in the south will eventually have their own exile, but they are not harmed in the Assyrian exile. So part of what the Jews expected from the Messiah was a restoration of all the tribes of Israel, okay not just um, release from captives for these, two Southern tribes, but all of the tribes to come back together. This looked like an impossibility because these 10 tribes are now intermarried into the nations and their descendants are all throughout the world. And somehow they believe that God is going to bring them back together through the Messiah. So as we go on to this next name that we're going to stop at.
0: Um, Before you, before you move on, could you uh, explain who the two remaining tribes were? One of them was... Uh, Judea
1: Judah yes and Benjamin but they're commonly referred to as the tribe of Judah and that's important to know I'm glad you brought that up because the Messiah is prophesied to come from the tribe of Judah and that will be the, the what's called the southern kingdom the two tribes that remain under the rightful king of, Israel, of the Davidic line so we'll, we'll talk about that okay so the next name we're going on to is Tamar Now, if you've never heard of Tamar, her story is in Genesis chapter 38. Um, She is the next major player. There's a couple of things that stand out about her. First and foremost, that she's female. Females were not usually included in Jewish genealogies. They normally would cover father and son. You usually wouldn't have females. She is also not Jewish. She, she does actually become Jewish. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But for right now, she is female and she is not Jewish. She is also, if you read Genesis chapter 38, she's also a pretty publicly known sinner. But here she is in the genealogy of Christ. And sometimes people will say, well, Matthew wrote that because he wants God or he wants everybody to know that God accepts you even through your sin," And that is true. But it's probably not the reason that Tamar is in here because as we get a little further you'll see there are plenty of wicked descendants in this genealogy. Many of the kings we're going to read about are were wicked kings. So this is not a whitewashed family tree. And that is a message that it's making very clear. Whatever you may have done in the past is not a hindrance to the Lord. He's always ready and able and willing to accept you back. So it's not going to your past is not going to hinder you from a relationship with God. And that is certainly something that we should take away from this genealogy, but is likely not the main point or the reason that Tamar is included here.
0: Okay, Um, that was something that I have never really thought about. Thank you for that information. Um, To our listeners, Genesis 38 is where you can find Tamar's story. That will be down in the show notes. So if you're busy or something, you don't have to stop and look it up. You can just check the show notes after you're done with whatever you're doing.
1: Awesome. All right. right, Next, we're going to move on to Rahab. So she is also a non-Jew, also a female, and also a public sinner. You can read her story in the book of Joshua, chapter two. She is the second of four females that we will hear in this genealogy. So if you remember, like we said, it is rare to have females in a genealogy. And here we're going to have four of them. It would be good to go back and read her story as well as Tamar's and a lot of these people that we're going to talk about here, because that way you will get to know their story a little. And when you hear this genealogy that, you know, you can bring their story to mind. It'll help you understand a little better what you're hearing read.
0: Yeah. Um, So I heard I've heard that some say that she's included. Uh, because of her sins what's your opinion on that
1: people say that just like they say about tamar they say well they put him put her in there because she was sinful and like i said it's um it's a message we can take from the genealogy it's probably not the main reason that she's in here and we're going to get into that as we get through the next two that we're going to look at so ruth is the next one that we see Again, she is female. She is non-Jewish, but she's not a public sinner. So that's not something that applies to Ruth. You can read her story in the book of Ruth. It is four short chapters. It's like a mini novel right in the midst of scripture. It's, it's really a good read. And if you can take the time to read a little bit about Ruth, if you don't know the story, it's a very touching story. It actually ends with a genealogy. <laughs> and we see that genealogy that is at the end of the book of Ruth right here in Matthew.
0: Ah, that that would be a lot of history in such a short period because the Bible's pretty packed on history as it is. And you throw in all that and you're going to have a lot of history in that short passage.
1: That's right. All right. So why don't we go ahead and read from 6b on through verse
0: 11. Sounds great. You want to do it?
1: I'll do it. Okay. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers. At the time of the deportation to Babylon. So here we have our fourth female. She's not mentioned by name, but she is the wife of Uriah. We know that her name is Bathsheba. This is the wife of King David. Um, the way she becomes the wife of King David is a pretty terrible story, and she probably kind of falls. A little bit into the category of you know, public sin. At least she was involved in David's public sin at the very least. You can read that in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12.
0: Down in she, the show notes.
1: That's right. She was likely a non-Jew because she was married to Uriah the Hittite. So we know that about her. So if we stop and we think about this, can you catch what all of the women we've talked about have had in common? Because they're not all public sinners. Ruth was not a public sinner. So besides the fact of being female, what do they all have in common?
0: They are uh, all non-Jews, correct?
1: Right. They're all non-Jews. And they're all, if you read their stories, they're all brought into the covenant family, the Jewish people, by marriage. what St. Matthew wants us to see. This is kind of a foreshadowing of what is the Gentile mission. These non-Jews are brought into the Jewish family by marriage. So often throughout scripture, God is referred to as the bridegroom of his people. And so when this worldwide blessing comes, it's not just going to be the Jewish people that he is the bridegroom of. It's going to be of all people, of all humanity. And that is probably what the presence of these four women in particular are are supposed to tell us, probably what St. Matthew wants to say.
0: Well, I, I was going to ask you what St. Matthew was going to tell us here, but I think you answered my question. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this, this uh, worldwide blessing and the Gentile mission looks forward to the mission of the church, right?
1: Right. Because the Gentile mission continues in the church. The job to take the gospel to the very ends of the earth is now the job of the church under the direction of the successors of Peter and the apostles, our bishops and our priests. So the rest of this particular passage is a little bit of a history lesson, and I'm not going to put you through listening to the story of each one of these kings. But what you need to know is each of these kings listed is a reigning king of the Davidic kingdom up until the Jews, the southern kingdom, those two tribes, are exiled by the Babylonians. This same genealogy that we see right here, this little section is actually also present in the book of Chronicles and is present in First Kings. So if you want to hear the story of some of these kings, you can read those books. It'll be in the show notes, um, the scripture passages about these kings. Or if you've listened to Bible in a year, or if you're gonna start listening to Bible in a year, Father Mike Schmitz will walk you through the stories of these kings. So yes, this little definitely. section, this little section started with Solomon. And that's kind of both the high point and the downfall in the genealogy at the same time.
0: So uh, how is, uh, sorry, how is he uh, both the high point and the downfall at the same time? Could you explain that a little?
1: Sure. King Solomon was a good and wise king until he wasn't. So many people know the story of King Solomon when Um, God told him that he would give him whatever he asked for. He asked for wisdom and he used that wisdom for good. But then he kind of started marrying pagan wives and worshiping their gods. And he, he was not a good King the whole way through his reign. And so after him, there was, A series of some pretty wicked kings. There were some good kings, but there were also many wicked kings throughout the rest of this genealogy.
0: Yeah. Um, So another part of that downfall is Solomon was actually chosen by David to be king, was he not?
1: Yes, he was David's son, and that's who David chose to succeed him to the throne.
0: So uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, these different kings?
1: Sure. So there's several names we hear in here. Rehoboam, Abijah, Joram, Ahaz, Manasseh, Amos, or Amon as he was called in the Old Testament. Those were wicked kings. They did some really bad things in Israel's history, and they didn't follow God. There were also good kings. Um, One that stands out in here whose story is actually kind of a warning to us, is King Hezekiah. So we saw his name in there, King Hezekiah. And he was a good king um, for the most part, but he kind of becomes complacent toward the end of his life. So toward the end of his life, he gets very sick. And you can find this story in 1 Kings chapter 20. So he gets very sick and he prays to the Lord and the Lord heals him. He recovers. And so he's doing okay. And then these envoys, these soldiers come from Babylon and they bring him a gift because the king of Babylon has heard, well, King Hezekiah is sick, so he sends him a gift. So instead of simply receiving them and receiving the gift and sending them on their way, Hezekiah says, Why don't you come into my storeroom and look at all my gold and all my treasures and All of the riches we have as a kingdom.
0: Sounds like a bad idea.
1: (laughs) Very bad idea. And that is what he is told by the prophet Isaiah, who lived at this time and who advised King Hezekiah. Hezekiah tells him, you shouldn't have done that. And now an exile is going to happen under your descendants. So Isaiah prophesies the Babylonian exile that will take the Jews out of their land. He tells King Hezekiah, because of what you have done because you have shown them this and you have tempted them an exile is going to happen under your sons and king hezekiah pretty much says that's okay it won't happen in my day they can deal with it ouch and yeah so he kind of becomes very complacent at the end of his life and this is a good a good way to reemphasize when the jews read this they wouldn't have just read some name some odd name hezekiah they would have known this story they would have known the stories of all these kings because it's their history. Genealogies were anything but boring to ancient Israelites, to ancient Jews. So this line of these kings of Judah, that's what they are. They're the kings of Judah. This genealogy follows them right up to the Babylonian exile where the Babylonians will come into Judah, the southern part of Israel. Remember, the northern part's already gone, so all that's left is the southern part. And they're going to demolish the temple and they're going to haul the people off into exile to Babylon.
0: Yeah, that's where we ended off, right? So now we have the next section, which is the and after the deportation to Babylon.
1: Right. So we're going to read verses 12 through 16.
0: Okay. So there, there is no reigning king during this period, right? Of right. No reigning
1: king during this period. So that's where okay. we're going to start. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, And Sheeltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, And Abed, the father of Eliakim. And Eliakim, the father of Azor. And Azor, the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Iliad. And Iliad, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of and Mathen, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So we'll stop right there. And like you said, there is no reigning Davidic king at this point because the Jews are in exile. That means their land, their freedom, everything has been taken from them because they are conquered by the Babylonians. And now they answer to the Babylonian king. They no longer have their own king.
0: So they're essentially uh, free-living slaves, in other words.
1: In essence, yes.
0: Because I feel like that would be a very general term, exile, because it has lots of different meanings. So in the, in that specific period of time, in that context, that would be what that means, right?
1: Yeah, basically they're living under Babylonian rule. They're going to have to do what the king of Babylon says that they're going to do. They're not allowed back in their land at this point. They have no place to worship Their temple has been destroyed. So pretty much their whole world has come crashing down among them. And so the line here, this still needs to be read in a spirit of hope because the Davidic line of kings that we've been following, it still exists. It's just going to go underground. They're still going to keep track of their genealogy, but they're not going to do it in a public way.
0: So uh, this line that goes underground, the Davidic line, Yes, is, is this mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, or is this it?
1: No, it is. So Chronicles, the two books of Chronicles, you can follow the genealogy here all the way up to Zerubbabel. So Zerubbabel is the person who, whenever the, the Persian king decides to let the Jews eventually go back into their land and rebuild their temple— Zerubbabel is going to be the one who leads that first wave. He lets them go back in waves, you know, groups of people. Zerubbabel is going to lead that first wave of exiles back into the land. And so the rest of these records after Zerubbabel are secretly kept until really until St. Matthew wrote. But the Jews, particularly the kingly line of the Jews, they kept these records. They kept track of this kingly line Because when the Messiah came, you know, they needed to know who the rightful king was. And so St. Joseph, as we see, is an heir to this kingly line. And he would have grown up with this knowledge that this is his heritage.
0: Oh, okay. So uh, St. Joseph's royal, in other words.
1: All right. So St. Joseph is royal. He is part of this kingly line. Um, He would have known that. Um, That is actually how Jesus will be the legal division is through St. Joseph. But as at this point, this line remains underground for their own safety because kings like the king of Babylon who conquer these smaller countries and take them over, they don't really want to hear from that country. Well, hey, this person is supposed to be our king. They will see them as a threat. Uh, At the time of Jesus, Herod the Great, as history calls him, is the king He's called Herod the Great because of his building projects and things like that. He he was not a great man. He was a pretty wicked man, and he murdered a lot of people. He is the one in Scripture who actually murders the children um, trying to kill the Messiah when the wise men tell him that the Messiah has been born. He was a very wicked man. And so this is why the line stays underground, because they know that if their kingly heritage is known that they would have to worry about attack and we will see this will ultimately happen in Jesus. Um, Ultimately the powers that be will lead him to crucifixion.
0: Oh, okay. Um, that, that makes more sense. If you read it that way. Um, something that his I've noticed as we've gone through this, um, you know, that St. Joseph is not Jesus, Jesus's biological father. Um, but Mary is his biological mother. Does that put a special focus on Mary or is that just how it was kind of supposed to work out?
1: No, it does. So St. Matthew is emphasizing that when he gets here to verse 16 and he says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So he's putting that focus on Mary to remind us that Jesus does not have an earthly biological father, Joseph is his legal father, so he is the rightful heir to the Davidic king. In the ancient world, it was oftentimes an adopted son that would inherit kingship, or you know, even if you go back through the history of the emperors, um, Caesar Augustus was an adopted son; he wasn't a blood son. So legally, Jesus will inherit this kingly kingly heritage from St. Joseph, even though St. Joseph is not his biological father.
0: And the, the Jews would have known this, right? By going to the genealogy, they would have known that Jesus would have inherited this.
1: They would. And Matthew ends this section with both Jesus's name and he says, who is called Christ. So Jesus's name means God saves and who is called Christ is his title. So they would have read that and they would have known Jesus, God saved, who is called Christ or the Messiah. So they absolutely would have known what all this meant.
0: Ah, that's interesting.
1: So why don't we read the last line, which is, is kind of fascinating when you dig into it is verse 17 says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ generations. There's
0: that's
1: things that we need to notice here. The first one is, Matthew, as we've been reading, has separated this genealogy into three sets of 14. Okay, so this doesn't include every name of every descendant of David. It's just the kingly line. Okay? yeah, And there are 14 people in each one. Alright, so Ancient Hebrew had no vowels in his language. And so they also gave kind of a numerical value to each letter. So David's name in Hebrew, its numerical value would be 14. Wow. Okay. So the number 14 in ancient Hebrew would signify David. This is something that the ancient Jews also would have known. David's kind of number was 14. Now, the number three in ancient Hebrew was a sign of absolute. We see the angels sing, holy, holy, holy. So, you know, in English, we have what's called superlatives, like good, better, best. They did not have those in ancient Hebrew. It's a very simple language. And so, holy, holy, holy is like the best to them. That's why they say it three times, okay? okay? So, this genealogy that is in three parts of 14, they would have known that St. Matthew is letting them know that Christ is the ultimate Davidic King. Three sets of 14. So absolute, the number three is absolute and 14 is David. He is the absolute David. He is the ultimate Davidic King. And these are things that we hear them and we think, how would I ever know that? But this, they would have known this is part of their culture. This is how they read. These are things that they looked for as a very different culture than our own time. And we, we have to learn some of these nuances to be able to to read it properly.
0: OK, that. Yeah, I can see how if you read them in that light, they'd be a little bit easier to understand. Um, so what else is uh, St. Matthew trying to tell us through this?
1: So you note that he also doesn't say in the end from the end of the deportation to Babylon. Um, the deportation to Babylon is another phrase for the exile, and he does not say that the exile was over. At the time of Christ, they still saw themselves in exile. They were still ruled by other places. They didn't; their own Davidic king was not on the throne. They were ruled by other nations. Um, if you if you really want to dig into the prophecies of Daniel, they uh, there was a prophecy of this fourth kingdom, and the kingdom of God would come during this fourth kingdom. And if you do all the math, uh, that fourth kingdom ends up being the Romans who ruled at the time of Christ. So long story short, the Jews really expected the Messiah to come during the reign of the Romans. That's why messianic hopes were so high. The prophecy told them that this is the time that the Messiah is going to come. And we often think that the Jews just expected this new political leader to just banish all their enemies and it's not that they didn't expect political help and a release from oppression but they expected much more than that they expected a new Moses type figure the prophet like Moses who would lead a new exodus who would give new manna if you remember the manna in the desert the miraculous bread from heaven they expected the manna to somehow return now this doesn't exactly happen how they thought but it does happen in this little baby who comes to Bethlehem, to the house of bread, that's what Bethlehem means, Christ comes to the house of bread, and he is laid in the manger, he is laid in the feeding trough. There are so many echoes of the Eucharist in the nativity. So when we read it all in this light, we can see how St. Matthew is leading us right into the life of Christ and how it is ultimately going to play out for not only the salvation of Israel, but for all nations, ourselves included.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. That is, that's a lot of information. I never thought of it that way. Thank you for that.
1: Sure. Um,
0: so, how can this help us get more deeply into the meaning of Christmas?
1: Well, it's a matter, I think, of getting acquainted with your family history. Christ's family history is also your family history. So, we're going to put in the show notes. Um, scripture references to some of the stories of the people that we've read about. And if you can go back and just read their stories, you don't have to read the whole book of Chronicles or the whole book of Kings, but you can pick a couple of them and you can read some of their stories and kind of get a feel for how this history played out. Some of them read like really good novels. Like I said, Ruth is like a mini novel in scripture. And so it gets you acquainted with the people involved, with the characters, so to speak, of salvation history. And Advent we've been journeying through Advent and it's kind of a time that we're reminded of the waiting of Israel for the Messiah for thousands of years. It culminates here in this genealogy that culminates in Christ. And we are also awaiting people. They waited for the first coming of the Messiah. We are waiting for his second coming. So the story, the genealogy per se, but the story Continues in you and I. It continues in all of us. And this is what we should bring to mind during this reading when we hear it in Mass, when we run across it in our Bible, is that this is a story that we're part of. This story continues in us today.
0: Indeed. Thank you for all of that information that we just heard. I very, very much appreciate it. Sure. So I think that's where we're going to end it today. All of the scripture references will be in the show notes. And uh, we also mentioned Bible in a year during the podcast. I would very much recommend checking that out. Um, thanks again to Holly Vaughn for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: No problem. We very much appreciate it. So why don't we end with the glory be? Awesome. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit.
1: Who was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.
0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us. righty. so this has been Seeking Songtus, and we will see you all next time.